Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone. This is Tulsi here. Thanks so much for taking the time to join me here on the show. If you would like to support this show and the content that we're creating as we take a stand for freedom and speak truth and speak with some common sense during these insane times, please visit TulsiGabbard.com and click on the support button. Uh, The only way that we're able to produce this show is through support from listeners and viewers just like you. Again, visit TulsiGabbard.com and click support. Aloha. If you violate one bit of the orthodoxy from the party, you are all the other things. So, and a violation can be asking a question because the Democratic Party platform was schools need to stay closed forever and ever until there is no more COVID or you're a murderer. I mean, it doesn't even make any sense. The Constitution of the United States and the Bill of Rights serve as the foundation for this country. It serves as the foundation for what makes this country great and what makes us who we are as Americans. The First Amendment of the Bill of Rights guarantees to every single one of us freedom of speech. Now, there's a lot of conversation going on about freedom of speech and how it is being undermined. It's being undermined by those who are in great positions of power, not only in government, but also in the business world, in corporate media, and in big tech. Now, in today's conversation, I'm going to be talking about somebody who has directly experienced the consequences of her freedom of speech being threatened. The the constant comeback to people, uh, the constant comeback coming from people say that, well, the First Amendment only applies to government, which is true. The First Amendment does only apply to government. It doesn't apply to the private sector. That means a business can do technically, whatever they want. However, there should be a question that's asked is, should you be fired from your job for exercising your First Amendment rights when you're not at work? Now, some people have been fired for things that they have said or tweeted out outside of work. Kids are suspended from school for things that they tweet out or videos that they post outside of school uh, premises and outside of school hours. Now, in my conversation today with Jen Say, she experienced as uh, an executive at one of the biggest corporations in the world, Levi's, the consequences of cancel culture. She's experienced the hypocrisy at the highest levels of business of those who claim to stand for social justice and tolerance and respect, but really revealing how it's all just for show. Now, the challenges to our freedom of speech are coming from all directions. Agencies within our own federal government are being weaponized against us, limiting and undermining our right to free speech. So this begs the question to every single one of us, what is the best way to defend our free speech that is under assault from all directions? The best way to defend that speech is with more speech with exercising our right to free speech, lifting up our voices through the many means that we have available to us. I think you'll find my conversation with Jen to be very interesting as she tells her own story 
about how as president of global marketing for Levi's, her free speech resulted in her leaving her job. And before we begin, as you may have noticed, we don't have any sponsors for this podcast. I don't read any ads. This podcast is really made possible only through your support. So if you'd like to hear more messages of truth and free speech and common sense, please share this podcast with others and show your support at TulsiGabbard.com. Aloha. Hi, Jen. Hi, Tulsi. Hi. Nice to meet you. I'm good. Likewise. Finally, I'm sorry this took so long to finally get together. No worries. Everyone's busy. You especially. I'm so, first of all, um, thank you for reaching out and um, for just having courage, really. Oh, I mean, well, that's... thank you. When I heard your, when I hit play on that video, I like wept. <laughs> it just makes oh. you feel less alone. Yeah, exactly. Know? Exactly. And, and that's not what, crazy. Right. <laughs> Even though you're being told you're crazy by, unfortunately, like in your case, and I have experienced, uh, just reading your book, there are a lot of things that... Um, we have in common, uh, that things that have happened to you, people you've close to, you, you know, you were very close to family members who you've lost. I've gone through many of those things and, and just that, you know, the people around Brutal. you calling you names and coming after you. Yeah. And to, uh, I, I thank you for sharing that. Um, and I know that there are so many people who read your book, which is powerful by the way, um, who also felt the same, you know, who yeah, I hear felt validated, not alone. Yeah, it keeps you going, you know, because yeah. even when things play out and what you were saying was true all along and you were right, exactly. they still, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. Somehow it doesn't matter. Truth seems to have been lost in this whole And people are afraid era. of it. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I mean, I know the truth is hard to hear sometimes, especially when it's something that you, you don't want to know or it's not comfortable or this or that. But the, I think one of the scary things is like, obvious the obvious truth like obvious like objective right in your face impossible to deny truth is not like well no that's not that's actually well, not that's what it is and and that for me you know i was watching bill maher over the weekend and and he they were talking about why the d next to democrat is toxic in some areas now um that guy from ohio who lost was on i can't uh, remember Tim his Ryan. name yeah, that guy. Yeah. Um, and he was trying to explain it quite eloquently. And Bill kept coming up against it, but he wouldn't see it. I mean, the fact is what you just described is why it's toxic. Mm-hmm. Democrats demand that you ignore a fact that you can see right in your face and that you know to be true yes. in favor of ideology. Right. They demand that you say, you know, I'll start with the most controversial, that there is no such thing as you know, biological sex. We know that's not true. Everybody knows that's not true. That's ridiculous. They demand that we say foods are neutral. There aren't foods that are better for you or worse for you. Obesity is neutral. It's not unhealthy. These are not, they demanded during COVID that we say closed schools. Those aren't bad. If you think they're bad, you're a racist. And it's like, no, no, they're bad. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, And at a certain point, I think people like, you and and I, we can't abide the lie anymore. You can't no. be too afraid to say that's a lie because we can't live in a lie. Exactly. And that's really, uh, for those who haven't read your book yet, it's called Levi's Unbuttoned, The Woke Mob Took My Job uh, But Gave Me My Voice. 
Um, it is it is a really interesting, and, and you really opened up in a really personal way throughout your book that I got to imagine was uncomfortable to say the least, maybe in some parts to, to put yourself in a position where you're sharing a lot about your own personal emotions and things you've went through, not only as, you know, like the president of Levi's and, and what was the culmination of, what was it, 23, 25 years at this company? 23 years, 23. Uh, but you also got into some really personal things uh, as well. So for those who haven't read the book, I, I really uh, encourage you to, to check it out because um, in the telling of your story, uh, you are raising some really important issues that um, too many people in positions of power, whether they be politicians or people in legacy media, or as you point out in corporate America, are not only uncomfortable talking about or confronting, but in fact, they are the ones perpetuating um, this, this culture of self-censorship and fear uh, at a minimum. Oh, for sure. And to some extent, this culture of lies, because yes. if they can attach themselves to the lies and wrap themselves in the lies and position themselves as social justice warriors, which I have news for you, not a single CEO is. I don't care what they say. You don't become a CEO if you don't want to make a lot of money. Nobody, may, I keep saying this to people, nobody makes $40 million by accident. Right. It just doesn't happen. You have right. to mean it. And so when these CEOs and business leaders and founders like Sam Bankman Freed wrap themselves in this, you know, cloak of wokeness, you can be sure it's a lie. And yeah. it is a distraction and a diversion to avoid scrutiny. And many of them do it for a very, very long time. You know, why wasn't the press interrogating Bankman-Fried's business, exactly. Holmes's business. Why were they putting them on the cover of every magazine, writing fawning puff pieces? Everybody bought into the lie, and it's like this loop. You know, the foundations and the activists and the corporate leaders and the press, and they all just reinforce this message and get to feel really good about themselves, and it's a lie. And what I don't understand is, why don't people care? Yeah. Why don't the employees care at the very least in these companies? You know, there's a story I tell in the book and, you know, Levi's, it may not be the biggest company, the executives may not be the wealthiest, but it is, it is the epitome of wokeness as far as these companies go. I mean, they really set a standard there. And in the depths of COVID, when all of our stores were closed, you know, our CEO stood up and made a big deal about the fact that we had to lay off employees, which was understandable, right? All our store, 80% of our stores of were closed. Did. I mean, yeah. business was really scary. Um, you know, our business was like down 70%. These are not numbers you ever think you're going to see as a business leader. Um, and he made, you know, took great pains to say we were doing it with empathy, blah, blah, blah. And we laid off a thousand people. But then he cashed out $43 million worth of stock. So He to himself me, did? Yeah, because laying off people bolstered the bottom line and bolstered the stock price and the stock sure. went up, even though the business was challenged because we were doing the right thing for the business. And so he cashed out $43 million in stock wow. at that same sort of in that same time frame. Like these two events were related to each other. If you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And yet nobody cares. Yeah. I don't, they believe the lines and the lies and the charade. And I don't really get why people tolerate it. Yeah, I mean, I, I wonder how many people, like you said, maybe employees within the company, and I'm not talking about the C-suite people, but, but the employees within the company, 
how many of them feel like they can't say anything about it, either because they're afraid of what the consequences might be or because they feel like, hey, I show up at, you know, an outlet mall to sell Levi's, you know, as a part-time job, what difference could I possibly make by saying anything about this? Yeah, I think all of that is likely yeah. true. And I think there is also a portion, it's like, it's like bread and circus. What's the phrase? You know, they, we throw out the line about we take care of employees yes. and we have empathy and people buy the line. You know, yeah. it's, yeah. Um, yeah. I think there's a good portion and I'm not saying they're dumb to buy it. They want to believe it. We all want to believe course. in something um, bigger than ourselves. And I think, you know, one thing I've observed is with the mass secularization of our culture. And, you know, mm. I put myself in that. I'm not a religious person, but the religious impulse is still there. And yeah. so we are inclined to believe in something. It might well, be think, a CEO. I think right. I think it's just, it's just that innate, I don't know, knowledge within each of us, whether you're consider yourself a religious or spiritual person or not, that, we are happier and more fulfilled as people when we are serving a greater purpose outside of ourselves, when we are yes. doing something that's, that, that has meaning and has a positive impact on whether it be a small circle of people or a large group of people, but has that positive impact outside of like, how can I just cravenly make as much money as possible so I can buy as much things as possible? Yeah, absolutely. We want to be part of something bigger than ourselves. Yeah. And I just see us falling for the wrong things yeah. <laughs> of late, you know. And there was a time, and I wrote about this at, at great length in the book, you know, where being really rich was something that was, it maybe maybe wasn't admired. You weren't admired as a good person, but you were admired as a shrewd person, as a fine, I don't know, as something. Successful. You know, as, as a successful, ambitious person. Yeah. Now that's not really the case. Mm -hmm. But those same people are still ambitious and still want to make a lot of money. And they certainly like what affords them, you know, what, what, what type of life that affords them. And, uh, but they have to denounce it in a sense, right? Privilege right. is bad. Right. And so they have to pretend, oh no, I'm really, you know, I would have been in the Peace Corps, but I just yeah. happened to get this job. Yeah. Sure you would have, <laughs> right? And They forced um, you in there. They forced, yeah, forced they you to forced take that paycheck. <laughs> and I just felt like I could make more of a difference yeah. as a business leader. And it's all mm -hmm. A crock. It is. It is. You know, but it's not, they have to denounce, you. everyone has to denounce their privilege. And so you just have this trend in the last like 10 years, which really accelerated in the last three to five of these CEOs masquerading as social justice warriors. Yeah. And the, the employees love it. Mm. Interesting. So I, I want to pause here. And, and for those who didn't see your initial uh, announcement the, that kind of really was breaking news when you decided to leave Levi's. I mean, you worked in this company, literally climbed the ladder for 23 years, uh, all the way to the point where you were uh, the president uh, of the company and literally next in line expected to be appointed uh, as the CEO. You were you were the CEO kind of in, in waiting kind until... Of, yeah until you started uh, you started speaking your mind publicly because your children who are going to public school were not able to go to school. And that was unacceptable. So um, 
you come from such a, I mean, your, your, your position is, is really unique in the sense that, you know, like I said, most people might feel afraid because, um, you know, you're working a, a nine to five job, maybe making 15 or 20 bucks an hour, and you're worried you're going to get fired if you say something. And this is happening. I mean, we, we see it pop up in the news all the time. People tweet something out or recently... Oh gosh, I forget where, you know, Tucker Carlson had a woman on his show who was fired for somebody that she was following on Twitter and it started getting negative attention. And so they let her go. A video game company. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, But you were, like, you were the elite. I mean, you were one of those people in those positions where other people look up and be like, oh, well, you guys up there at the executive level are the ones who are perpetrating um, so much of the self-censorship that we're talking, talking yeah. about and everything else. But in reality, what you experienced was even in those, those highest levels of power within one of, I mean, one of the well-known, most well-known brands in America in the or the world, world yeah. uh, cancel, being canceled and yeah. self-censorship. And I, I just want to point, uh, just bring up on the screen here, um, this article that came up uh, when you made your announcement uh, that you chose to quit Levi's rather than allow them to let you go, pay you a million dollars to be silenced. Uh, you chose to give that up in the cause of truth. What, ha- yeah, what, what, what happened? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, the, the long and short of it is, you know, I had been a, a longtime employee, 1999 is when I started entry level, you know, literally climbed up through the ranks. Um, it was an inhospitable environment to women for many, many years. It's sort of atypical as a fashion company. It was very sort of sales, male-led, and I, I write about some of this in the in the book, but you push on through and you just try to be better and you try to get better. And I mean, I loved it. I loved the product. I'd worn it since I was probably seven years old. Um, I remember the 1984 Olympics, the U.S. team was dressed in Levi's sweats. And I mean, it was like this magical brand to me that really stood for authenticity and sort of being yourself. And, right. and it wasn't just me. You know, when I stepped into the chief marketing officer role in 2013 and we were trying to kind of we were off our game. Like the business was terrible. And that was mm. part of my charge is to bring it back. You know, that was my charge, not part of it. We went around the world and talked to people. And that's what people who love the brand, they always say that. I feel like my best and most authentic self in Levi's. And so I built a whole kind of brand effort campaign advertising around it. And it worked. And we had a successful initial public offering. Um, I mean, it was great. I loved it, you know, and I loved leading a team and I loved helping people build careers that were meaningful. And I had always been a political person and outspoken, but my views had been in line with San Francisco, where I lived, Mm -hmm. which is far, far left, and with Levi's. And so no one cared. And occasionally I would support a candidate that they were like, "Mm, too far left, (laughs) you know, but they, (laughs) but it was still a Democrat. So it was okay. You know, in, tw- in March 2020, I was a CMO. I was in my eighth year. I was about to get pre- promoted to brand president, which is the step to CEO. But literally from day one of sh- lockdowns, and California went first. From day one, I was like, uh-uh, <laughs> this is wrong. Mm-hmm. It is wrong. It isn't going to work. Um, it's never going to end. It's going to harm the most vulnerable people among us, the poor children, um, and I just sought out. I read like crazy. I mean, 
that's what makes me crazy now when people say, well, we couldn't have known. <sighs> yeah, we actually could have if you actually bothered to read, but real information was suppressed and anyone mm -hmm. who offered an alternative point of view, really well-established doctors were you know, deemed fringe and crazy. I mean, so what do you think is going to happen to someone like me, right? Mm -hmm. um, but very early, I I was very outspoken about schools and playgrounds in particular. Mm -hmm. I was opposed to all of it, but I thought if I focus my energy and attention on children, maybe I can build a bridge. Right. Because people just were like insane, you know? Um, but it was, it's hard to describe the fervor in San mm -hmm. Francisco. If you even asked a question are we sure this is best? Are we, you were a racist, a murderer, um, an anti-vaxxer, even before the vaccine, I was called an anti-vaxxer. You were a conspiracy theorist. You were all these things. But I thought children, like, don't we all care about kids? Right. That's what I thought. I thought kids were not partisan, not political. And, you know, boy, was I wrong. Uh, but I was outspoken and it took about six months for anybody to say anything to me. And then I got a call, which I knew was coming. And, you know, I was just, it was on social media. But then I started, they started to show me on the local news and I wrote op-eds and I started to lead rallies and all this stuff. And I was told the first call, which was one of many, was, you know, when you speak, you speak on behalf of the company. And I said, no, I don't. I'm a mom. Four public school kids. 50 some odd thousand public school children, 60% of whom are low income in San Francisco. I'm speaking on their behalf. I never use my title, none of it. Mm -hmm. Well, you really need to think about it. It's going to impact the reputation, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, at that point in the fall, when I started getting the calls, all of my peers sent their kids back to in-person private school. So mm -hmm. I thought, okay, now they'll see it. Right. <laughs> no, no. Not so much. No, no. And that just enraged me because it was like they were telling me, you can't, all the values they pretended to espouse about equality and inclusion and everything they stood up and said about fighting racism in the summer of 2020, none of it meant anything. None yeah. of it mattered. Because the one thing we could have done to actually fight racism and classism was to get the schools open and to advocate for them because 60% of the children are low income in these public schools. Anyway, they kept urging me to stop. I kept refusing to stop. <laughs> I would, uh, I on was that note, polite. I just, I just want to point to um, the response that you got that you include in your book, the response that you got when this, I know this wasn't the first time you raised it, but when, when you pointed out like, Hey, let's use our influence as a company to encourage them to reopen public schools. And the response that you got was, no, we don't really want to do that because it might make us look bad by exposing how many of us send our kids to private schools. I mean, you I mean, just said the quiet part out loud. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And that that was the driver in their decision to not do anything about yeah. it. Even as they were sending their kids back to school and they were probably pretty relieved and like, okay, fine, this is great. They can get back to schools and studies and we can go back to work and all this other stuff. Um, it's a, it's always the driver. Double standard, Repu right. Reputation is always the driver. That's sort of the point. That's why it's yeah. all a pose. It's a charade. It's always reputation. And part of me is like, how dumb do you think everybody is? You think they don't know you send your kids to yeah. private school? Yeah, exactly. I mean, they're stunned I do. That's really what's yeah. shocking to people is that I do. Nobody cares. And you're you're standing up for all these causes and you're not part of that group either. Right. You're pledging to fight racism and you're fighting for LGBTQ equality and all these things. And none of you are members of those groups. So why right. do you have to... What's the difference? But 
it just, it, it was just, and to this day, it remains somewhat unacceptable, although there's starting to be, you know, some acknowledgement and recognition that the closed schools were a terrible, terrible idea. There is no rec, there is no ownership of that or decision. Right. Or apology. Um, there's no accountability. There's this sort of pretend, well, we didn't know it just happened. COVID did it. But mm-hmm. COVID didn't do it. A person decided to keep the schools closed. Right. Because some leaders didn't decide to do that. And they fought tooth and nail to get them open. And that was the right decision. And not just Ron DeSantis, but Sweden. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like countries I thought we admired. So anyway, it went on like this for about 18 months. Um, in the middle of it, I did get promoted. And so, you know, to, to, to sort of address what you said earlier about like a regular workaday employee, my feeling is, because a lot of people have said to me, well, you have a different obligation. You were the president. I, my response is, if I can't do it, a person with a tremendous amount of stature in the company, and not just because of my title, but people really liked me. You know, I'd been there a long time. I really cared about people. I walked the walk, all that stuff. Like, if I can't do it, no one can. That should concern us all. I don't have a different obligation. I didn't have a contract saying I couldn't do any of these things. Anyway, it really went south when I went on the Laura Ingram show, (laughs) as you might imagine. Well, that was your first offense, having the audacity to go on Fox News and Laura Ingram's show. (laughs) Yeah, we made, you know, I moved my family to Denver in the spring of 21 so the kids could go to school and it got a little bit of national attention and she invited me on the show and, you know, my- And she's great, by the way. I I say that with with some sarcasm. I I respect her. I I recognize it. She was very early. I think maybe the first national kind of news personality to say, like really right from the get-go to say, this is not right, what we're doing to children and with lockdowns. But anyway, I, I agreed to go on. I talked to my you know fellow open schools moms and many of us are disaffected leftists, like, you know, lefties, like, you know, like you. And um, we said, we should do it. You know, you should do it. You'll be able to handle yourself. You're media trained and no one would invite us on. You know, we had tried, we had tried, you know, there were all these stories featuring Randy Weingarten and, you know, whatever Mm -hmm. doctor. And it was all about how, if you open the schools, all the children and teachers are going to die. I mean, that was basically the gist. And we begged to have a parent on that was seeing what was happening, you know, with children on the ground and no one would. So I accepted the offer. I'm proud of what I said. I'm glad she had me on. I stand by everything I said. I'd say it again to her. Um, But it just... It it it, it, it set the employees aflame, and even mm. when they acknowledged that there was nothing wrong with what I said, I was considered the enemy now because I had spoken with the enemy. That's a quote. Wow. And that that points to the reality that that I have seen and continue to experience, but that we see. I mean, you're, you, this is very specifically about your experience during COVID with your children and schools, but. Almost everything that you're saying here can be applied to many of these other issues that, uh, you know, kind of whether it's like the insane leaders of today's Democratic Party or, you know, the woke people in legacy media or in big tech. I mean, across the board, um, you know, I've experienced this for a very long time when speaking out against these counterproductive wars that are incredibly costly to my brothers and sisters in uniform and to our country, to speak of people in other countries, and that do nothing to serve our country's security interests, and in many cases actually undermine it, just for 
asking questions, just for right. challenging and saying, are we sure that this is the best approach to take? Are we certain that this is actually serving the interests of the American people? Immediately labeled, uh, you know, you're a traitor, you're, you're committing treason, you're a Russian asset, you're this, you're that. And, and it just points to why, why is it that that's the response? Why is the response name calling? Why is the response anger? Why is the response threatening someone's livelihood? It's because they cannot, they don't have a ground to stand on to actually yeah. have a substantive conversation and substantive conversation yeah. and debate about whatever this, you the know, thing is. Is, exactly, whatever the thing may be. And, and there are a few of those things that it seems like across the spectrum of these people in positions of power, even though they're not the majority by numbers, uh, they are the ones who are deciding what is the narrative, what is okay, what is acceptable, whereas everything else is something that has the potential to ruin you personally or professionally. Yeah, and I, I, I think you're exactly right, and that's what I say. Like, why is it, why was I evil? Why couldn't right. you disagree with what I was saying, but I wasn't evil and we could engage in a conversation? Yeah. It, it is the, you know, the name calling, and I was primarily called a racist. That was their favorite. But I also became, you know, QAnon, Trumper, anti-science, anti-mask, anti-vax, all of these things. I mean, the you, you were also the called, and I actually like made a note of this because it, it struck me. You were called, as you said, anti-trans. You were called fat-phobic. You were called like all of these things. I'm like, wait, I, I don't see the through line here between you as a mom trying to get your kids back to school and all of these really, really, really horrible things that you're being called. Well, because you, you described it. I mean, I can describe the specifics in my case, but the broad strokes is if you violate one bit of the orthodoxy from the party, right. you are all the other things. So, right. and a violation can be asking a question because the Democratic Party platform was schools need to stay closed forever and ever until there is no more COVID or you're a murderer and you want um, teachers and black children to die. That's why I was mm -hmm. a racist because I didn't care if black children died, even though I have two black children. I mean, it doesn't mm -hmm. even make any sense. It doesn't have to make sense. Right. Um, but it is that's the, the point. That's, it doesn't have to that, make sense. But there it shuts no, it down. Yeah. And, but what it does also, and I think is really the point, whether they know it or not, at a certain point, they realize, like, I wasn't going to stop. You're not going to stop. Like, they're not going to stop us. But it sure as heck keeps everybody else quiet. Exactly. And that's really the point. That's exactly um, the you point. Know, the day after I resigned very publicly in San Francisco, three members of the San Francisco Board of Education were recalled incredibly mm -hmm. decisively. S margin of 70, 75%. Like, just crushing because they didn't open the schools. So all those parents agreed with me mm -hmm. silently at the mm -hmm. ballot box. But we need, and I know it is so scary, and it's really the whole reason I wanted to write the book was just to sort of encourage people just a little bit. Like, I do think the people who can see the lie and have common sense and are willing to debate and discuss the issues, I think we're the majority. We but are, too many yeah. are just too afraid. Yeah. But if we did it together. Exactly. Exactly. And yeah. at a minimum, like you said, uh, people who are afraid to use their, their actual voices were able to exercise them at the ballot box, which, which matters in a huge way. You know, so much attention is given to these national races and the ones that get a lot of the national media attention. But, you know, we saw there in San Francisco, we've seen it in Virginia, we've seen it in other states yeah. and counties and cities in the country where, gosh, 
if you're concerned about what your kids are being taught in school or the policies or decisions that are being made, like go to the Board of Education meetings, go and vote in those elections, run for Board of Education, like actually be in that position where you are either making the decisions or you are influencing and pressuring those who are and remembering that in this country, we as voters are the ones who have the power to hire and fire these elected officials at every single level of our government. And it's, it's so sad and frustrating to be in a place where, and I get it, but so many people feel so disenfranchised and so um, helpless against the quote unquote machine. And I put, I put leaders from both parties in that bucket in a lot of different areas, the establishment, which encompasses government and, you know, the private sector, and big media, um, you know, big tech, you, you, you look at all of that. And, and it's no wonder people feel like my voice will not be heard. Uh, my vote won't make a difference, but we're seeing how it does. And frankly, it is the only thing. It is the only thing at a time when our, our fundamental freedoms are being threatened by the most powerful people in this country. It's the only thing that we can do to protect yeah. them, to speak up. No, and, and that's what was so alarming during all of the lockdowns is, you know, fundamental rights, you know, beyond the vote, but that you have as a citizen to object, to protest. Uh, they were taken away. Yeah. Um, you couldn't protest the school closures. You could protest Black Lives Matter, but you couldn't protest the school closures. That was criminal and the police would show up. Um, but, you know, there are myriad ways for us to use our voices. The vote mm-hmm. is obviously the epitome of that. But I, and I'm so grateful those voters showed up and, and sent that strong message that this was not okay. Board of Ed, you are not beholden to the teachers union. You are beholden to the people that actually vote for you and elect exactly. you and you did not do your job. But that was, that was two years in. Mm-hmm. Imagine if there had actually been a public conversation a societal conversation about this issue and parents were truly informed about the real risks or not risks to their children, they would have taken to the streets and they would have demanded that the schools open and they would have opened at least a year sooner. You know, I suspect they would have opened in the fall of 20. Right. Or, or at least be empowered to make a decision for themselves. Right. Because every family may be in in, uh, every family is in a different situation in in every respect as far as, you know, who may be more comfortable homeschooling their kids versus not and needing to send them to school or who may have a family member who has, you know, is immune compromised. And they're like, well, we have to weigh, you know, the risks and and ultimately being informed to be able to make those decisions uh, for themselves and actually taking a stand for that individual freedom of choice. That uh, we supposedly are supposed to have in this country. Yeah, and we had no choice. You know, there was no choice. They were just straight up closed for a full year and a half. And I think, you know, sadly, that process of silencing esteemed doctors and, you know, even, you know, normies like me or people that could read data, that had the impact of making people more afraid for their children than they actually needed to be. And that's that they terrorized parents. Yeah. That's it's cruel. Yeah. You know, and, there and are not only that, sorry, go they ahead. kept their kids home for literally isolated yeah. in a room for over a year. I mean, yeah. that's torturous for a child. Mm-hmm. And and to add insult to injury, they said, okay, well, even when we open the schools, these kids have to wear masks, whether they're indoors or outdoors. 
thinking and, and, and perpetuating, and this is not just kids, of course, but perpetuating the lie that a cloth mask <laughs> is going to somehow protect you uh, from, from getting or, or, or spreading COVID, for that matter. Well, and at a certain point, frankly, it was just children. Yeah. I mean, honestly, in cities across the country, people could attend, you know, basketball games with 20, 25,000 people. They could attend football games with 60,000 people, maskless, you know, drinking and partying. And the two year, their two-year-old would have to go to preschool on Monday with a mask. That, that's mm-hmm. literally what happened. And in New York right now, unless maybe they just ended, I might be getting my timing wrong. In New York City right now, an unvaccinated parent cannot watch a high school basketball game mm-hmm. that their child is playing in, but they can watch the Nets. So the children have been punished more than anyone. And that's what I find just so egregious. Those least at risk from any harm, you know, real serious harm from this virus, which is very real, they have suffered the most and they have been impacted the most. And in many instances, you know, we were told, oh, it's two weeks or two months, whatever. You're selfish if you're arguing about this. It isn't. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm talking to these children now where I'm making a documentary film on the subject. Kids dropped out of high school. Absenteeism is at an all-time high. There are schools in San Francisco where the high schools have 90% chronic absenteeism. Those wow. children will not graduate. Wow. This is going to be a generational problem. Mm-hmm. You know, and sure, if your kid was fairly well off and you had a pot at home and, you know, yes, a lot of kids will be fine, but far too many, far too many will not be fine. And this will impact them for the rest of their lives because, you know, if they don't graduate high school, their earning potential, their life expectancy, their chances of going to prison, all of these things, you know, they just have worse life outcomes. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's it's very, you know, you, you made a comment about how, like, what do they think? Like, we're that dumb? And I think the, the reality is that they really do think that we are that dumb to buy into whatever it is, uh, whatever the line is uh, that, they're, that they're selling us. And, and the arrogance with which, again, we can talk about it with COVID, but we can talk about it with a lot of these other issues whether it's the trans ideology, the issue of war and peace and others where they, they will try to sell us a line that is so absurd and so ridiculous and makes no sense that is not at all rooted in truth, in objective truth, and just sell it as though it is written in stone. Uh, and, and I think that's where, you know, even, even with the vaccine, for example, like yeah. Fauci, I think one of his last interviews before he retired uh, and left, he was like, you know, go get your vaccine, go get your vaccine in order to protect your loved ones and your community. Like, no, man, like we all know, maybe in the very beginning, what they said, like, hey, no, not very many people knew about this vaccine because it was brand new and what it could do, what it didn't do, what it was tested for, what it wasn't tested for. But we all know that the vaccine doesn't prevent you from getting it and doesn't, doesn't prevent you from spreading it, period. And so the fact that even now where we are today still Still, as you mentioned, in New York and in other places, I know some are now lifting. I know in the military, they've lifted the, the vaccine yeah. mandate, but others are, are still requiring it. And it's just like, well, hold on a second. They've lost all credibility because it's very clear that they're unwilling to admit that they were wrong about certain things. 
and unwilling to actually just say, hey, okay, here's what we're doing, here's why, this is what we know, this is what we don't know. And I think that's all people really want from yeah. those in positions of power is just, hey, just tell us the truth. And if you made a mistake, own it and allow us to then make our own decisions for ourselves. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I couldn't agree with any of that more. I think at this point, as it pertains to COVID and many of these other issues, you know, and I could, you know, go on forever about how many they are. The harms are so egregious mm -hmm. at this point. Um, we did know from the beginning. I mean, take the vaccine, for instance, like how anyone could stand by it as delivering as promised. I mean, it's on video everywhere. You can't get it. You won't transmit it. Exactly. But that was literally from day one, never researched. If you bothered to read the report from Pfizer in the footnotes, they never. So, so what that says is if they never tested for that or they never, you know, researched that, that they were lying flat mm -hmm. out from the beginning. And so it's sort of sunk cost fallacy at this point, because to admit a mistake, it was so egregious. And there's like one lie on top of the other on top of the other, either a lie or just ineptitude. I, I don't know which. They're both terrible. They right? are. They're both awful. <laughs> and yeah. it's just one thing on top of the next. And I think it's just too egregious at this point to admit it. <laughs> I, I don't I don't know. Yeah. I mean, if you I, I, anyway, I, I cannot accept a lie. And I, you know, for many, you know, I started pushing back on all this stuff with COVID and there were other things I was quiet about, you know, because I felt like I'm in enough trouble over here. <laughs> <laughs> and clearly I was pick right your battles. that. Yeah, pick your battles. And it's why I stayed very focused on children and didn't veer, you know, so heavily into lockdowns or vaccination. I did talk, speak some on mandates, vaccine mandates, um, which I think are, you know, incredibly discriminatory for obvious reasons that I won't get into. Um, but I realized I was holding back on, on other things. And at this point, I'm in a position, as I'm sure you find yourself, that you're just like, well, now I might as well just say it all because right. I, I don't have a job. <laughs> I have right. no prospects. I'll get one at some point. Um, but if you accept a lie... I don't know. It's so disorienting to me to think that we could accept lies and live in them. If you don't, it means you don't believe in the pursuit of progress mm -hmm. or you don't even believe that pursuing truth gives us progress. Right. If Which we is the irony. That. And it so that's, I can't abide. And honestly, if we accept lies and government issued talking points as facts and Pfizer issued press releases as facts that are accepted by the government as stories and the press are written, I mean, it's just the loop is like never ending, right? then really are we any better than any authoritarian regime? How is no. that different than China? It, it is, that, that's such an important point here because in order for us to actually have a functioning democracy, people need to have faith in their leaders that what they are telling us is true, period. And if we have no faith in our leaders and they dictate to us Here's what sh the information you are allowed to see. 
We're going to take away everything we don't want you to see. Here's the line we want you to believe. We're going to silence those who challenge that line. Then you're exactly right. We have no functioning democracy. And really, what then is the difference between us and any other authoritarian country or country that's led uh, by a dictator? I, I want to go back to another thing in your book that jumped yeah. out at me about Levi's kind of motto or mantra you said was profits through principles. And that what Levi's, um, you know, one of the things that Levi's is really known for is that individualism that you're talking about, right? That, you know, uh, we are individuals and, and you're able to um, express yourself as an individual, but also you're marketing a lot of people basically like go buy all the same things, but express yourself as, as individuals. Yeah. And uh, it, it, it just stuck with me given why you got asked to leave the company yeah. and why you ultimately decided to quit because your individual, your, your brand of individualism, they found to be unacceptable. Yeah, the individual in the way that we tell you you're allowed to be exactly. an individual. Yeah, which exactly. is sort of the definition of the fashion industry. Like, right. and, 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 I, and I write quite a bit about that, which is, you know, that's sort of what you're selling. Everybody, you know, what kids will tell you when you're doing research in, in fashion is, I want to look like, I want to stand out and be unique just like my friends. Right. <laughs> that's the line they all say in research. Right. So, you know, they, they want to... Um, you know, that's what they want. Anyway, but Levi's has always stood for rugged individualism and really the best of what America has stood for. You know, Levi Strauss himself is this Bavarian dry goods merchant. He came to America to forge a better future for himself and his family. He equipped, you know, gold miners to wear strong pants so they could keep their gold in their pants. Um, it really has represented that sort of thread or that strand of rugged individualism in America. And I think that's why my story sort of resonated because that's mm -hmm. the lore about the company. And, and as the CMO, as the chief marketing officer, that those are the stories I told. They were about being an individual that lived your life in Levi's and did great things. And, and I think Levi's stands out as a fashion company. And, and I always took great pains to do this. We don't tell you how to wear our product. You wear it your way. You know, it sounds like Burger King, but you know what I mean? Like you, you rock your 501s however you want to. And sure. everyone from minivan moms to cowboys to punk rockers and b-boys, they all wear Levi's, right? Yeah. They all wear Levi's 501s. And that's what I loved about it. Um, but at the end of the day, it really, I, it happened slowly and then all at once. It became, you know, we had this campaign, Use Your Voice. It was my campaign. And I it dawned on me quite <laughs> late into 2020 that that applied to everyone but me. Yeah. You could use your voice if you used it to support the government-issued talking points. And that was it. I mean, I was also told I couldn't um, post anything about the recall election in California. Wow. Which is clear violation of protected political speech. And I wasn't right. even saying I support it. I was just posting articles about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it, it didn't apply to me. And I, I real I, call me dumb. Maybe I'm naive, but I realized this. I just, I didn't think it was the case. You know, I'd always had views that were sort of a little quirky, you know, and outside of the business mainstream because okay. I sort of held views that were a little further left. Um, you know, I often didn't support the mainstream, uh, candidate. I often supported a candidate that was further left. I didn't vote for Gavin Newsom as the mayor. I voted for whoever the Green candidate was. So I was always a little quirky, but this suddenly I went, I mean, they keep calling me and I notice you get called more conservative now too. I don't think I've changed. I just yeah. think the party's gone mad. I agree. Um, I agree. 
but yeah, I, I realized about, you know, six months in that all of these mantras of profits through principles and use your voice and, you know, all of that was a lie. It was a marketing strategy. They think they mean it. Right. <laughs> they tell themselves if, that. When they go they to sleep tell at night. themselves, yeah. but if you push up against it, you'll find very quickly. And if you challenge any of the orthodoxy and the charade that allows them to take this social justice stance and be perceived as a good social justice warrior, you must be banished because you threaten to expose the lie. So it's a weird balance because on the one hand, they sort of believe it about themselves and they mm-hmm. like believing it. They also, they know it's a big lie. Yeah. Both deep can be true at this exactly deep down exactly. because they wouldn't banish you with such fervor. Yes, if it were true, yeah, because they could defend it. Um, there's a clip. I'm going to see if we can find it that you talk about in the book. A Saturday Night Live clip from 2017 was it? So so about good. woke yeah. woke Levi's. Yeah, um, Levi's wokes. Levi's woke. Let's see if we can just pull it up real quick because. I, I didn't get to watch it before um, before talking to you, so I'm, I'm watching it for the first time now. I think we're going to play it. My jeans tell me I'm a man. My jeans tell me I'm a woman. They tell me I'm relaxed. That I'm skinny. A child. Yo, you don't know me, jeans. I'm not a style. I'm not a size. That's not me. I am not a child. I'm me. I'm unique. I'm woke. Whoa, whoa, I'm woke. So, why aren't my jeans? Now they are. Introducing Levi's <laughs> sizeless, style neutral, oh gender non-conforming denim for a generation that defies labels. Levi's heard that if you're not woke, it's bad. So you know these. Defining someone by their style? That's offensive. That's why Levi Wokes have no style. <laughs> What's my size? Why don't you try asking me about my accomplishments? Oh. <laughs> Our size me. They fit everybody. Because they fit nobody. <laughs> so what colors do they come in? Colors? I'm triggered. This color. Can you label this color? That is the color grab. They not brown, but they not not brown. It's a handful <laughs> of colors. None of which are dominant. Just like our country. Oh, wait. Whoa. <laughs> Let's talk pockets. Pockets sold separately. Yo, who says I have hands? You getting this yet? The jeans are woke. Whoa! Do they come in men's and women's? Nah. Do they come in person? What do you think? That's why woke's got Unifly. 180 degrees of gender nonconformity. <laughs> oh my gosh. I go to the bathroom. Do yours. What don't you get? They woke. Woke. Get woke. We're woke. Yo, hold up. Are my wokes made in some factory by Indonesian kids? Nah, they're made right here in the USA by white kids. Oh my gosh. Exclusively at Ross. Isn't of course, the they're best? at Ross. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that the best? That is so good. First of all, like, oh my gosh, SNL created that. SNL created that clearly uh, to make it possible for us to laugh at the farce of wokeism and how nonsensical that whole thing is. Like, that blows I know. my mind. <laughs> it, and that was September, if I'm not mistaken, that was September 2017. And I, 
I don't watch Saturday Night Live, but it was on and I was weirdly awake at that point. People start texting me Mm. thinking I'm in big trouble. Like I'm the chief marketing officer and they're (laughs) mocking us, you know? And I'm like, I think it's hilarious. We're not going to be like that. That's silly. Of course, they're totally like that now without the humor. (laughs) Um, And we had this idea. I talked to my head of design who called me and we thought it was hilarious. And we were like, let's make the pants. And let's send them to the cast. Um, and we just wanted it to be fun. Like, we thought we're in on the joke. We don't have to be the butt of the joke. We can mm-hmm. be in on the joke. We agree this wokeness is silly and ridiculous, and we're not going to be part of it. But now, close to six years later, I don't think they would make that. No. No. I mean, SNL, I mean, SNL isn't funny anymore, in my opinion, because they're so concerned about all the things that everyone else is concerned about. Who, you know, who are they maybe offending? That, that is my question. That's my question. And that, that's oh, why I me. was so surprised. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of just a general question. I get asked yeah. this question too, is like, what was the turning point? What was the yeah. thing that changed? And I know a lot changed when Trump got elected because a lot of people got yeah. really, and are still just completely yeah. deranged because Trump got elected and, and they, they yeah. unfortunately haven't figured out like, wait, maybe we should stop for a second and actually listen to people and think about why people voted the way they did. And instead just said, anybody who voted for him, Hillary said, what was the deplorables or they're racist or they're Nazis or they're this or that. So again, not interested in listening or the truth, but you look at, you look at, I mean, I was, I was shocked that they even did that in 2017. It's not that long ago. It's really not. Um, But we've seen like with, with SNL, we've seen with a lot of stand-up comedians, Dave Chappelle not included, uh, who just, they just not, you know, any any of these late night hosts, they're not funny. They're not funny no. at all because no. it seems like they're all concerned about, you know, oh, we, we can't offend these guys. We can't say anything that might piss off, you know, the, the democratic powers that be or the woke audience or the woke people on Twitter or whatever it is. Yeah. And that's what I'm curious, like, if, yes, we have a bigger question about culture in this country. But you were, you know, you were in Levi's in a company where this was making fun of wokeism and you took it for the fun that it was. But from 2017 until 2022, when you left, did you see, what did you see as kind of the triggers of, of you as, as, you know, a C-suite leader in that yeah. company being able to respond in the way that you did, like with another joke? But then now getting to a place where just a few years later, you you had to leave your job because you were not right. allowed. Uh, right. you, you, you dared to challenge them on something that was unacceptable. Yeah, I think you're right. Trump drove people insane. Um, I, I think that so many business leaders like this is, is for whatever reason, you know, I think the majority, at least of coastal business leaders, meaning CEOs at this point are, are Democrats. Right. And it's like the Democrats are the party of the elites now, not the working class. It's yes. the college educated elites. Um, but they have conservative streaks in them. Like these are hardcore capitalists that like to make a lot yeah. of money. You know, they don't want they were terrified when they thought somebody like you know, Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren, like them, don't like them, doesn't matter. Um, could From possibly, a business perspective, they were very concerned. They, they did not like that. Bad for business, bad for right. business. So these are not like, you know, far left people. Right. Um, but I think, you know, Trump 
that was a divide and you were either on the good team or the bad team. And that kind of put a wedge. Um, I think the summer of 2020 and the murder of George Floyd, which just the country and the world exploded. Um, And I think part of that, because we'd seen horrific murders like that in the past, why did it happen with this one? I do think it partly was because we'd all been locked up for three or four months and it was sort of a powder keg, the country. I mean, it was horrific too and it was there on video, but there had been other ones. Um, And, you know, maybe it just, it was time, but that and the response to it from businesses in particular. I mean, the business world was frantic to prove their anti-racist denouncing my privilege status. And they all made proclamations on Instagram, including us, about what they were going to do to diversity. Like they just, because if you didn't, you were on Team Trump. Right. You were on the bad team. And then COVID, which was sort of during that same time, put a further divide. But I think you're right. Trump was a real sort of dividing line. Mm-hmm. Uh, but look, I didn't like the guy and I didn't lose my mind. I, do, I just don't understand how you could divorce yourself from reality because yeah. you hated or really disliked a, you know, elected public leader. Um, but I think all those things added up. And, and suddenly, like I said, the trend is it is not good to be rich. It is not good to be privileged. And so all these people have to act like they're not or that's not why they're doing it. They're doing it because they really care about helping people, which is lunatic. And their kids, you know, they've got teenage kids and college kids who are not proud of the fact that they make a ton of money, but they might be proud of the fact that they're a social justice warrior. And then you've got the employees coming in, this young woke cohort of employees who's grown up, you know, they've grown up with safe spaces and they're very sensitive and they, they, they are afraid of these young employees and they want to impress them and they're terrified of them. I mean, mm-hmm. they really are. And to your point, Tulsi, it's not the majority. It's a very vocal and very punitive minority, but these senior C-suiters, they don't understand social media. They don't understand any of it. And these kids do. And they know with a finger tap, they can take a picture in a meeting of some leader who said the word guys, like, hey, guys, mm-hmm. you know what we're going to do? And they can get her fired. Oh they know gosh. they have that power, but they don't have it if the CEOs refuse. Exactly. That's the thing. And I think you bring up Netflix and Chappelle, or yep. you brought up Chappelle and The Closer. That's the, I think, the, the one you're referring to where he talks about um, trans. And yeah. one, it's funny. Two, it's also heartbreaking. And it is very empathetic. I mean, he's talking about his friend (laughs) the whole time. And I think the CEO of Netflix, Ted Sarandos, set an example here. Yes, I agree. And it he said, because employees, there were supposed to be thousands and thousands of employees protesting, right? That's what the New York Times is reporting. And it was like 40. Right. So first of all, (laughs) it wasn't everyone. Um, they, they, they They wanted them to pull the closer from Netflix, but it was one of the most watched shows of 2021. So from a business perspective, he wasn't going to do it. Um, and I think from a, our mission, their mission perspective, which is we show a lot of content for a lot of people, which is what he told the employees. And if you don't like it, then maybe you shouldn't work here. Yeah. And guess what? You know what happened? Nothing. It was fine. (laughs) And you know, Daniel Eck from Spotify did the same thing with Rogan, Mm -hmm. but they're the only two I can think of. Yeah. I mean, the, the only other example that comes to mind, as you mentioned, CEOs being afraid of their employees, kind of their woke employees, was Jack from Twitter, kind of 
openly talking about it in some ways, but it was kind of that open knowledge of of how the employees are the ones who are are making policy decisions through pressure. And that, you know, Jack himself, as the founder and CEO, was frustrated and felt helpless to a certain uh, to a certain degree. I think they just don't have the words. They don't know how to do it. I think the majority of CEOs want to get back to business. They want to unwoke their companies and they want to focus on running the business with sound fundamentals. Some of them are frauds and they don't want to because they like the laudatory praise they get, right? But I think most of them went into business because they like running a business. They want to deliver product excellence and make money for the company and the shareholders and themselves. But they don't they don't know how. And I think Bob Chapek at Disney is a really good example of this. Mm. He bowed. They He could have stood up in front of the employees who were pressuring him to weigh in against Ron DeSantis and the so-called don't say gay bill, which is not really what not the what bill it is. is. Right. It's not what it is. <laughs> and he said no at first. And then he bowed to the pressure of the employees. Here's what I would have done. Not that anybody's asking me to be the CEO of Disney, but I would have said, look, we're coming out of a really tough time. We're coming out of COVID. Our parks business has suffered. We got to get it back on track. We've got this great streaming business, but it's not making any money. Let's focus on that. I welcome diverse opinions in this company, but that's not our job. Right. It's not my job to go to go fight with the government. They should hire you as CEO. <laughs> and, you know, by the way, a really, really popular governor who yeah. won his governorship by more than 20 points, I think. More, in, more in a historic fashion. Yes, in a historic fashion. And, you know, watching it unfold and I, I, I started looking back, you know, with all the business challenges Disney has faced in the last two years for, you know, understandable reasons, the things they're making headlines about are the CEO going to war with Ron DeSantis. Right. And that is illustrative of the fact that it was taking time, energy, and money and employee attention away from getting the business back on track. And I I just don't understand why it would be hard to say that for a CEO. It's it's, it's interesting, Tulsi, because I, I I it is revealing. And they're just afraid. And most of them I think are this will make it so I never get another job again, but they're just <laughs> cowards and they don't know how to do it. And if exactly. you gave them the words, they would do that. But yes. they have hysterical heads of HR and heads mm-hmm. of corporate communication chirping at them and saying, you can't, you have to do what the employees want. They all Gosh. think the employees have all the power. And it's also why employees are refusing to go back to the office. Yes. Which is also bad for business and yeah. bad for cities. Yeah. I mean, it's terrible for the city of San Francisco. The city of San Francisco is dying and they have the lowest return to office occupancy rate of any city in America. The downtown is done. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm smiling a little bit as you're talking about this because I have experienced and see the very same thing in so many of my former colleagues in Congress uh, mm. and people in Washington is, is those who, I mean, as I was running for president and I was running in the Democratic primary and speaking out very strongly about how far off track the Democratic Party has become and the need for it to get back to its roots as being the party that fights for the people, that fights to protect our, our open spaces, water, the environment, our party that stands for civil liberties, civil rights, and freedom of speech, and individual thought and expression, and all of these things that the Democratic Party used to be, uh, you know, kind of the flag bearer for, what to speak of the party that had many voices for peace. I had I, I, some of my colleagues, not not a huge majority, but some of my colleagues came up to me on the House floor 
Democratic colleagues during that time, wisp literally like pulling me into a corner, whispering into my ear, oh my gosh, I love everything you're doing. Keep it up. Just don't tell anybody that I said this to you. <laughs> and, and those are the ones who had the courage to even come and speak to me. And why that took courage was uh, a member of, a, of staff of, of another uh, Democratic congressman who I'd worked with before on a number of, of issues um, their staff told my staff, like, we're like, oh, hey, let's go introduce this bill together. We've been talking about this for a long time. They said, oh, no, we're not going to allow our boss to be associated with yours because she's toxic and we don't want him to be contaminated with her, uh, I guess, toxic, her public toxicity. Right. And, and so and these I are mean, the staffers. These are the staffers. These yeah. are the staffers saying, I won't allow my boss to do this. I won't yeah. allow my member of Congress right. to do this. So they're not even trying to hide the fact that we have so many cowards in Congress, in, the, in the, the most powerful rooms and halls of this country, making decisions that affect business, that affect the economy, that affect our national security, war and peace, the environment, that affect education, every immigration, you know, our borders, every aspect of our lives are cowards. And, and who make decisions in the very same way that you're talking about these CEOs based on fear and based on, well, who, you know, who are the loudest voices? Well, I don't want to piss this group off or yeah. that person off. And what happens if, you know, I get associated with this person or, or whatever it may be, it's making decisions that are selfishly fear-based rather yes. than exercising courage. Whether I agree or disagree with the decision is, is not the point. The point is yeah. being able to take an extra, a, a principled stand and a courageous stand um, yeah. I based think, on what you believe serves the greater good, what serves the country right. and the American right. people. Not, yeah, not based on being afraid that you'll be associated with someone or like take all that out of it. Or but you'll I lose think, a donor or whatever it is. Yeah, I think... Most people, the vast majority of people, probably 60 to 70% would rather take cover in the group than stand up and do the right thing and be That's right true. and try to lead everybody towards the, the truth. And, right. or, or even if they're wrong, if they think they're right, they still would, most people, you know, would mm -hmm. rather stand with the group and be part of the group and conform and have that sort of validation and moral righteousness that the, the group affords. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that's changeable. Like, I think that's human nature. You know, I think that is just a fact. I think that's what we saw in the Milgram experiment. That's what we saw in the Stanford prison experiment. Like right. most people you know, are obedient to authority and conformist, even if they put hashtag resists all over their Twitter, <laughs> they're still just conforming. Um, Those hashtags like, are powerful, though. They're so yeah, powerful. It, it's sort of the hashtag of the fashion business, right? Like, I want to yeah. look like an individual, but like all my friends. Yeah. Um, and I, so I don't really think it's changeable and I've come to accept that and it's, it's disappointing. But here's the thing. The 30% is divided into two parts on either side, right? And they can move things. And I, you know, I, as I was going through what I was going through at Levi's, I kept, you know, a, a previous story from my life close to my heart and at the top of my mind, which was in, in gymnastics. And I was the first person really to speak out about the abuse in the sport. I wrote a book in 2008. 
And I pushed myself to be as honest as possible, you know, about unflattering things about myself, but also about the sport, even though I was afraid. I did not realize the backlash it would provoke. I did not, you know, this is pre-me too. You didn't have to believe all women. You didn't have to believe any of them. You could crush them with the heel of your boot if you wanted to. And so, and I wrote about the national team coach, not Bella Caroli, but the Olympic coach in 1984 being a serial rapist, Mm. which he is. It was known and covered up in the sport, but you weren't to speak of it. And I sort of thought it would kind of be okay. Like I thought it was an open secret. I didn't realize it was a secret secret. Anyway, I wrote about all this. It was horrible. I was dragged across the internet for 10 years as a terrible, awful grifter, liar, whatever. And then the story of Larry Nassar broke and suddenly I was this hero and everybody forgot you know, that they said I was lying and I was a terrible person. And I was weak and an awful gymnast and all like, what does that have to do with it? I don't know. Well, let, um, let's just they, pause there because I think we've got a video of oh, your national championship just, oh just to disprove. Speaking of the truth and, you know, <laughs> fact checking and everything else. So all the people who had those criticisms, They're we're going to show them real quick. Coming up for a dismount, which is a round off double full. Took a step. That was a great routine for Jennifer. Beautiful. And that gave her the confidence to go on. In the floor exercise, though, some difficulties. Jennifer has beautiful dance. If you watch the poise and the grace in her movements. I did gymnastics as a little girl, so at a personal level. Oh, wow. Amazing. Uh, my, my sister and I did gymnastics, and then I realized I didn't really have the, the body for it. When she got to her last I can't stand watching this. <laughs> Do you still look, watching this? Do you still look back and start critiquing yourself? I'm just curious. Um, I sort of stopped that in the last 10 years. Yeah. I mean, I'm 53. <laughs> it's about time, right? Um, that one is hard to watch. I actually was, my ankle was broken while I was oh competing gosh, in that. Are you kidding? No. Wow. So that's hard to watch because of how much pain I was in. Wow. And I didn't know it was broken. It looked really horribly grotesque and swollen and purple. And I actually didn't learn how bad the break was until I was 40 and finally went to a doctor and had surgery. And he was astonished. He asked me how, what kind of car accident I had been in because I had shattered my ankle many years ago. And of course I had never known this. My coach and my doctor just said, go back out there. Here's some more cortisone. Here's some more cortisone. I'll wrap it up for you again. So I wrote about all of this, you know, the eating disorders, the bullying, the abuse, the weight shaming, the being forced to train on serious injuries. And I was hated for it. Um, but if you, the more they called me a liar, the more I leaned into it. Like I, I felt like I touched a nerve and I knew I needed to kind of push through it because I didn't want other children to have to go through what I had gone through. Yes. Now it took 10 years and it took the exposure of the most prolific pedophile possibly in American history, Larry Nasser, um, for folks to realize. But my point is that 60% is movable. Right. You know, and you just have to, it's difficult and it requires Mm. people calling out the lie and saying the truth and being resilient and being unwilling to, you know, balk at just because they're called names and, you know, fired, (laughs) whatever. But people come, they come around and they will stand. And, 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 you know, look, I'm not, I'm not even critical. I just, this is human nature. This is how people are. And I understand it. Yeah. I mean, it's it's leadership. 
actually yeah. real, authentic, strong, and courageous, principled leaders who are willing to, to be the first to take those arrows and take those blows to get us to a better place. Don't you find, what I find sort of unfortunate and sad is you described to me, and I, I had the same experience in business, we assume that those leaders are your peers Yeah. In the government. ones who are in leadership positions, right? The, yes, we assume yeah. those people are not cowardly and that they are courageous and that they are, you know, that they have some vision and foresight and are willing to make hard choices. But I think it's the same split amongst leaders too. It's yeah. still that 60, 70 are going along and they're, you know, a little bit cowardly. And it's really, that's the part that's upsetting to me. But I, I will say the part that's encouraging is the amazing people I have met in the last three years, like everyday folks, like moms who are now on school boards because they took matters into their own hands and they've yeah. run for school board. I mean, I get choked up thinking about it. Regular people who were better at data than the you know, data scientists and the doctors who were claiming to know everything who have just been dogged in presenting correct information. Like just, there's amazing people everywhere. And that's exercising leadership, exercising that courageous leadership in the way that they can and the way that they, that they, you know, are, that they know how. Yeah. And I, that's what I tell people. Um, do it whatever your way is. Yes. You don't have to blow up your whole life. It could just be, you know what? Maybe you're one of those parents who's not allowed to go watch your kid play basketball. Don't accept yeah. it. Ask right. why. Right. Ask why at this stage when we know, when, I, when you can go to Madison Square Garden and watch a game, why you can't. Yeah. Don't accept it because it really is um, the consent of the governed. And so right. we cannot consent Exactly. When go to the to game. an unjust law, go <laughs> to the game, make yeah. a stink outside the door. Exactly. There's still some schools who don't have in-person parent-teacher conferences. Wow. I mean, that's crazy. Don't accept it when they tell you it's too dangerous. Say, yeah. I want to meet my child's teacher. Yeah. I am coming in. Yeah. It, there's a million ways. I mean, obviously I'm focused on children, but like in your area, in your life, you don't even have to run for school board. That's really hard. Um, do what you can do in your life to exactly. push back on lies and unjustness. That that right there, I think, is the most the most important message, and what I think is the the takeaway from from your book and and the message that you've been delivering is exactly that. You know, don't just stand by and allow this to occur. That every single one of us has a powerful voice and the ability to make a powerful impact, and you know. To me, it's, it's um, I, I, some people are like, oh, but Tulsi, you do so much more than I do. It's like, no, you and I may be trying to make an impact in different paths, in different spheres and in different ways, but this is not like a competition of, of any yeah. sort whatsoever. It's every one of us going within our own hearts and, and being introspective to find what is that best way where I can be of service, where I can make a positive impact. And there is no not enough. There is no wrong answer. There is no, well, it's just too small or it's not as yeah. much as this other person is doing. It's yeah. about what every one of us, um, every, what every one of us chooses to do because it is a choice. We all have the opportunity. It's whether or not we make the choice to take advantage of that opportunity. And when we do, and I know how, how fearful uh, uh, and, and scary it can be, but when we do, and I promise, because I've been through this and you're experiencing this, 
you will feel a sense of fulfillment. Yeah. Even as you're getting attacked and even as people are coming after you because you know that you are making that positive impact and you are helping to move us towards that solution. Yeah, I think that's, that is true. It's a bumpy, um, it's a bumpy path, certainly. And my yeah. life, I tell people, is pretty unrecognizable from three yeah. years ago. You know, I don't live in the city that I'd lived in for over 30 years. I don't work in the place I'd worked in for over 20. I had a career trajectory. It's now unclear if anyone would ever hire me to do anything again. Um, I've lost a lot of friends, um, some family members, um, not not to COVID. I didn't mean that. I mean, through the, 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 through the stances that I've taken. And so that's very difficult, but I, um, I have my kids and my husband and I have my integrity and, um, I'll figure all the rest of it out. Um, because I, I just, I don't know. I can't, you know, there, there were one or two people over the course of the, the few years who I had considered friends who said, why are you doing this? It's not worth it. Why? I don't understand how you could say one children aren't worth it and truth isn't worth it. If I mean, wow, then I don't really have anything in common with you. Um, And I, you know, one of the things I tell people is the thing you do could just be, Hey, let's listen to her. Exactly. I might not agree with her either, but let's have this conversation. Right. That's a big thing because yeah. one person says that and then guess what? Another one says, yeah, I want to hear what she has to say. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like it just can you imagine be if your CEO, the CEO of Levi's had said that? One little line like that. Let's just have well, the conversation. I, the whole time I, or, or let's not have this conversation at work. Jen's talking about this stuff outside of work. She gets to use her voice. You get to use yours. Let's get back to work. Right. Instead, right. in every town hall, there were a thousand questions about how racist I was. Right. What a waste of time. It's just so silly. Anyway, now I'm going in circles. But I, no. that is what I hope. And I could not agree with you more. You know, everyone has to do it. Their issue, their cause, their life, their skills, it all adds up a diff- to a different kind of path. But I just want to encourage people just a, just a little bit. Take that <laughs> one step. You know, screw up your courage just a little bit and say yeah. the thing. Yeah. Well, I know, I know that you are. Uh, I found your book to be inspiring. Um, I'm looking forward to the documentary uh, that you're producing and filming. And uh, I, I, you've mentioned a few times that, oh, you know, I don't know if anyone will hire me again. Uh, I, I doubt that very much. Um, you, you've displayed the kind of courageous leadership that our country needs so much more of, not only in government, but also in the private sector, in education, in healthcare, we're seeing how necessary strong, courageous leaders are in every sector uh, of our society. So um, thank you for being that. Thank you, Tulsi. You are an inspiration. I, I like to watch your video when I'm feeling low. <laughs> it inspires <laughs> me. The one where you said you're not part, you're an independent now. Yeah, no, I mean, there's a few brave people. There's a, a piece Abigail Schreier wrote maybe two years ago. Um, how does it feel to be so hated? I think it was a talk mm-hmm. she gave to Princeton students, and it gives me just the jolt I need when I, I love it. when I need it. I haven't, I haven't uh, read or seen that one, so I'm going to look that one up. She's you fantastic. Should. She's amazing. Yeah, it starts with what does it feel like to be so hated. It's a good one. Yeah.
can relate. <laughs> Thank you. Thank for you. All you do. It's, it's so good to talk to you, and uh, I can't wait to meet you one of these days somewhere along the path. I would love to. I would love that. Thank you, Tulsi. Great work. Thanks so much. Talk to you again soon. Bye. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone. This is Tulsi here. Thanks so much for taking the time to join me here on the show. If you would like to support this show and the content that we're creating as we take a stand for freedom and speak truth and speak with some common sense during these insane times, please visit TulsiGabbard.com and click on the support button. Uh, the only way that we're able to produce this show is through support from listeners and viewers just like you. Again, visit TulsiGabbard.com and click support. Aloha.